In Exodus 4, we see a problem. The same problem, and I had no idea when I began studying today that these things would merge, coalesce, if you will. But it's the same problem that we have here often. Moses believed that God was a great big God who could do anything. Moses just thought he was not the guy that it could be done through. So in Exodus 4, actually Gabe mentioned this and I thought it was funny. So he talked about a child reading this story. What do you mean a staff became a snake? He said, let your imagination run wild. Well, I hope you all did. hope your imagination ran wild. Now let's talk about the Scripture. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. I want you to understand what is at stake here. God says, Moses, I want you to do something. Moses says, But what if they don't listen to me? And God's first response to that is, Moses, what's in your hand? That's not a very good answer, is it? At least not on the surface. If you say, well, what about my empty gas tank? And God says, what's in your hands? You're like, God, did you just change the subject or are you ignoring me? Yeah. Moses, what's in your hand? Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. Before you move on any further, you need to understand that a staff to us is just a stick, right? Just a stick. What would you do with it? Well, you read all the Bible commentaries that said, well, staffs were for beating off animals, you know, fending them off. Staffs were for helping a a shepherd walk up an incline. Well, thanks. I appreciate the years of study it must have taken to, to come up with that. It's not what the Word speaks about a staff. In fact, you don't find a single scripture that says, you know, shepherds carried staffs for this purpose. But what you can do is you can look into the Word and say, when was the first time it was mentioned? What about the next time? What about the time after that? Is there anything in common with all of these? Maybe there's a reason that when Moses says, what if they don't believe me? God says, what's in your hand, buddy? He says, staff. Turn with me to Numbers 17. Keep your finger in Exodus 4. Numbers 17. Whose staff is in Moses' hand? Well, if Moses got it, it's Moses, right? Who's... Whose credit card's in your wallet? If it's not yours, we're calling the police. And yet, number 17 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and get twelve staffs from them, one from the leader of each tribe, of their ancestral tribe. Write the name of each man on his staff. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name, for there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting and in front of the testimony where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. Apparently God doesn't like it when you grumble. But what he said was, let each tribe bring a staff and write the leader on that staff. Then, he goes forward, has Moses put them in the presence of God. They come back the next day and Aaron's staff has not only uh, produced life, but it produces full buds. His staff was representative of him. And in the Bible, what we see from the very first mention, which you'll find in Genesis 32, please go there, is that a staff, keep your finger in Exodus, A staff not only had their name on it, but it often had their family seal on it. It often had the events of their lives written on it. 
A staff was something that might be handed down from a father to a son. A staff was something more than just a stick that you fended off animals with. A staff very specifically had to do with who you were, your name, your reputation. Another way to say it would be the standard that you live by. You know, in the New Testament, when it speaks of a breastplate of righteousness, a breastplate of righteousness in action is this. Did you hear Mandy embezzled money from ErgoFit? I know Mandy, and she didn't do that. I know the standard that Mandy lives by. I know her name in the Hebrew sense, her function, her reputation, and she wouldn't do that. A staff represented that about you. It represented who you were. Does that make sense? Uh, We don't have anything like this except maybe in more ancient times, a signature meant that. You wouldn't sign your name to just anything because it wasn't just squiggly lines on a paper. That was your word. And more than that, your word was backed up by your character, who you were. Some people's word means nothing. Others means an awful lot, right? A staff was the same way. Are you all in Genesis 32? Genesis 32, look at verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two groups. Save me, I pray, from... And he goes on to talk about Esau. When he says he had only his staff in his hand when he crossed the Jordan... He doesn't literally mean that there was nothing else that he had. He didn't walk across the Jordan naked. He didn't walk. Uh, he wasn't in the nude. What he's saying before God is, I didn't have anything except my name and my reputation. Now, tell me something. Jacob's name and reputation at this time. How good is it? What is it worth? Well, he's got a reputation for the kind of man that would conspire with his mother to trick his father who would defraud his brother out of his inheritance. That's all Jacob had, but when he's returning after having been obedient to God, his name and his reputation is growing into something more. What are they saying about him now? Jacob's becoming a great nation. A staff had to do with your reputation, your name, who you were, the standard that you live by. That's the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. Turn a couple chapters to the right. Chapter 38. After reading this story, one could ask why on earth I named my son Judah, but that's a long story. In Genesis 38:15, Judah <laughs> sees a uh, young lady. says, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. Well, maybe she dressed like some of our kids. Everybody's wearing it, right? It's no big deal. It's just the fashion. If you can be mistaken for a prostitute wearing it, saints, don't wear it. Don't do it. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I will send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she said. He said, what pledge should I give you? Now, if you're in this position and you're bargaining with somebody who obviously wants what you have, 
What would you ask for? I want a car, dude. That's what I want. Till you bring me the money you owe me, I want your car. You got the title to your house? Uh, how about your firstborn son? You want something valuable because you may never see this person again, right? What does she ask for? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant. Afterwards, she left, and she took off her veil and uh, put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah brings a goat back, and he wants to redeem his staff and his seal because it meant something to him. Now, you could argue about Judah's character because of what he's doing, but what is obvious from the story is the very first time a staff is mentioned in the Bible, it's valuable to a man. Certainly, you could pick up any piece of wood on the ground to fend an animal off of you, or if you're old and weak to lean on while you were walking. But these staffs had their names on them. And a name in Hebrew means your reputation. And if he didn't go back to redeem it, this woman would be able to hold this staff always and say, this one doesn't keep his word. The standards he lives by are not righteous. And it would shame him. It would shame his name. Turn a few more pages. Be in Genesis 47. In Genesis 47, look at the 28th verse. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. I've taught you all before to put your hand under a man's thigh is to swear upon his throne, is to swear upon what God has made him. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel, that's Jacob, worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. People said, well, he was just old and weak. And that's why he leaned on the top of his staff. He's leaning upon the name and reputation, the standard that he has always lived by, as he makes peace and promises with his son. He does the same thing when he prophesies to all of his children. The same God who crossed the Jordan with me, the same God who has made me who I am, that is what I am leaning on this moment. Because a staff to the Hebrew people meant more than just a wooden stick. It meant the standard that you have always lived by and will always live by. One more, Genesis 49. In Genesis 49, you'll see in the 8th verse, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs. And the obedience of the nations will be his. The same thing that redeemed Judah. The same thing that Judah spent his life leaning on, his trust in Yahweh God, was symbolized in his staff. And God promised the tribe of Judah that that would never depart from them until somebody came who truly lived by that standard in every sense of the word. It's where we get the term lion of the tribe 
of Judah. Go back with me to Exodus 4 and let's talk about what is in Moses' hands. Pick back up in the first verse. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. How well has Moses done at this point in his life? Well, he's called to be a deliverer and so far he's managed to kill one Egyptian. And that was a mistake. And he knew it was a mistake because he looked in both directions and when he saw nobody, he buried him in the sand. When you feel the need to cover your actions, you can be sure it was sin. doesn't matter what you think about it theologically. When you feel the need to cover it, you can be sure it was sin. Secondly, Moses is standing before God saying, what if they don't believe me? I know you're saying you're going to send me, but what if they don't believe me? God said, what is, uh, what's in your hand, Moshe? Moshe said, a staff? That's right. And Moses' staff probably had Moses' name on it because that was the custom of the day. What God's suggesting to him is that the staff in his hand would no longer be Moses. Keep your finger here. We're going to come back and read this again but I want you to go to Exodus 17. We're going to flash forward in history a couple years. In Exodus 17, the ninth verse, eighth verse, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I'm going to suggest to you before we read the rest of this narrative in Exodus 4, that the problem is Moses was looking at the staff in his hand thinking his name and his reputation was on the line. What if I go and they don't believe me? What if I go and I look like an idiot? And what God is going to show him is, Moses, you're not there representing yourself. It may look like your staff in your hand, but I'm going to show you that it is my name, my reputation, and my standards that are on the line here. The problem with us so many times, saints, is we look at how something will affect us when God tells us to do it as if it's our reputation on the line. In a natural disaster, how many people have called you and said, Lindy, Nick, how could you have let this hurricane happen? Probably not very often. When a tornado happens in the Midwest, does anybody call and say, Lindsay, Lindsay, why did you let this happen? Probably not, but who do they blame? So when God says to go feed a child who lost his home from a hurricane, or to go help somebody who has no clothes from a tornado, whose reputation is on the line? God's. And the reason the world doesn't flock to Him in mass it's because the church is looking at the staff in our hand as if it belongs to us. Our name and our reputation are supposed to be wrapped up in Him. Now Moses is worried though. What if I go in your name, Lord, and they don't believe me? And you can see, he's got a little bit of a yellow streak at this point in his life because he hasn't done so well. Maybe you stepped out in faith and didn't do so well. And yet his life is not over yet. 
How many of you would like to begin your calling for God at the age of 80? Moses is 80 years old here. And he's experienced 79 years that did not live up to what God had called him to. Everything that we're going to hear here, I mean everything, has to do with Jesus. Watch this. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned it back into a staff in his hands. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Moses, I'm going to give you a miraculous sign. Something that they will look at and know could never have come from you. So that they will know you're not there on your own behalf. You're there representing me. Does that story strike anybody as familiar in any way? Hold your hand here and turn with me to John 3. Tell me when you're there. Y'all quiet tonight. In John 3, everybody quotes the 16th verse, right? And you can do it, I'm sure, verbatim. Look at the 12th verse. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. It's an interesting thing here. He's speaking about something. Lifted up the snake in the desert? Well, that's not Exodus 4. What is that? In Numbers 21, God had the people take a snake or fashion a snake out of bronze and put it on a pole. Bronze is a metal in the Bible that symbolizes God's judgment. And by looking at this bronze snake on a pole, they were healed when snakes bit them. Snakes were ravaging the people. Snake to them became a symbol of sin. When I look upon that bronze pole of judgment, I see a symbol of my sin. And I ask God to heal me. And He did in Numbers 21. When Jesus says this in John 3, He's literally telling the crowd in the Hebrew way, you're being ravaged by sin and you don't know it, but I will be lifted up even as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert and you can be healed. And nobody understood it. But that's not what we're talking about today. In Exodus 4, Moses takes something. What does the staff represent? I'm sorry. What? Your reputation, your name, the standard you live by. God says, Moses, I want you to hold this up. I want you to throw it on the ground. And it may look like sin for a little while, a snake. But when you take it back up again, it will be righteous. Because God was going to take His name and His reputation embodied in the man Jesus, His righteous standard, and He was going to throw Him to the earth And everybody would look at him as a symbol of sin. But he wouldn't stay there. He would be taken back up again and shown to be what he was. 
restored. I'm telling you this because when Moses needed to find confidence, he got a picture of Jesus. Have you never thought when you read these, well, if I had seen those things, if I saw the Red Sea split, then I wouldn't doubt. Have you not touched, felt, experienced Jesus alive and well today? If you haven't, we'll pray for you and you can. But when I got born again, it showed me that the one who was thrown to the earth and looked like sin was righteous and restored before God. In fact, God gives Moses three signs here and all three seem to represent Jesus in some way or another and all three have to do with something being restored. Now, I'll show you what they are. But go ahead and look to your left for a moment. Now, look to your right. The good news is, statistically, one in three people is pretty. That means if the people on your left and right are ugly, it's good news for you. What you saw when you looked left and right should not have been an ugly or pretty person. It should be the miracle of a life that is restored. Say, God, what about me? Why would you send me? Lord, what about my reputation? He says, I put my reputation on the line already for you. And now you don't walk under your own name. You walk in my name. This is why so much more is required of us who call ourselves Christians. God's name and reputation in Jesus were viewed by people wrongly as sin. And it was restored back to God. Turn with me to Exodus 7 real quick. Sorry, we're going to bounce you all over the place. But it's okay because you know your Bible so well that it only takes seconds, right? Good, Adam's there. Where are the rest of you? Yeah, hold Exodus 4. We're going to be in Exodus 4 all night. But now you're in Exodus 7. When God threw His righteous standard, His name and His reputation down upon the earth, and it looked like sin, some people didn't love God. In fact, it was a giant stumbling block so that most of a nation turned their backs on what He was doing on the earth that day. But if you look closely, the reason that God threw His righteous standard to the earth and made it appear as sin, is also found in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, the seventh chapter, in the tenth verse. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers. And the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. I one time told somebody, said, ever since I saw that young man born again, he's done nothing but smile. The man replied, all kind of idiots have smiles, Eric. I was young and zealous and I couldn't help it. I looked back at the older man and said, yeah, it makes you wonder who the idiot is, doesn't it? We can talk about religious conversions, and you can compare what happened to me to what happened to some Zen Buddhist if you want to. All I can tell you is that what has happened to me, what has happened to many of you, is so real and so thoroughly changed my life that it doesn't matter to me how many people seem to be able to reproduce it temporarily. I'm confident I got the real thing. 
Listen to what happens. They did. They reproduced this miracle of God. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. See, when God took his righteous standard and he allowed it to look like sin by throwing it to the earth, it was for a purpose. It wasn't just some vain religious act. Jesus, looking as if he were a sinner on a cross, swallowed your sin. Every bit of it. And everything else that the world could produce that is a counterfeit and would push you away from God. A staff is God's righteous reputation and He laid it on the line for you. And when others tried to assault it, He swallowed them. Let's go back to Exodus 4. Next time God speaks to you and you feel that thumping in your heart and you're scared because you know you're going to have to do something, get your butt out of the seat and walk the aisle. Let go of your shopping cart and go to the lady with the four kids that looks like she hates God and everybody else, but God told you to go. I was praying for a woman who was a stepmother at the time. My birth father's remarried more times than I can count, but we won't get into all of that. And while I was praying for her, I said, Lord, send her somebody, somebody who will address her. There has to be somebody like we are here, there, where she is. I got a phone call the next day. She was at the post office and a woman walked up to her, grabbed her by the shoulders and said, the Lord God told me that I needed to tell you something. You're loved and you're being prayed for. She called me with that testimony. You never know what your obedience will do for someone. In Exodus 4, staff, righteous standard of God, thrown down to the earth, looks like sin, brought back up to God, shown to be the righteous standard. The lesson that you learn from this is not only that it foreshadows Jesus, but that when you're in a situation where you say, but Lord, what happens if? It is not your reputation on the line. It is God's. Moses thought the staff in his hand belonged to him, but he loans it to Aaron. You saw that in the next chapter. And God calls it His. It's not my reputation that's on the line when we build the church. It's His. By the way, what is my reputation worth anyway? Let's be honest. Moving on from there. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Oh, that must have been good news. Lord, you made my staff something I want to run from, and now my hand's ugly. Cloaks are an interesting thing. They've been different at different times. But it seems that at this point in Israel, the way that you get your hand in your cloak is not to... uh, pull out your shirt and shove your hand down. It's to open something in the center and put your hand near your side. As I began to read about that and think about that, I remember John 1.18. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen the Father at any time except His one and only who is at the Father's side. You see, Moses sticks his hand into the side of his garment, and it looks like leprosy when he pulls it out. But what happens when he puts it back in? Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Restored is another way to say saved or healed. It's all the same word. God, when he wanted to show himself to mankind and lay his reputation on the line, took his very right hand 
and put it into his side, at his side where all the glory is, and pulled it out and allowed it to look as if it was leprous before all mankind. In fact, when you're thinking about the ways in which Jesus looked leprous, keep your finger in Exodus 4 and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. You only have to endure me for about six more minutes. Let's make them good minutes. Y'all in Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53, starting in the first verse. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before Him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. God took something out of His side, substance of His substance, put Him on the earth, and it looked leprous to us. Something that you would never esteem. In fact, in biblical times, lepers had to wear bells on their body so that when they walked near, you could hear them and avoid them. Like you might hide your face from them. You could say you despised their presence. Isaiah 53.9 goes on to say, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After suffering the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And the knowledge of my righteous servant will justify many and He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give Him a portion among the great. Moses, when he didn't know whether or not the people would believe him, was given a sign that foreshadowed Jesus. God is able to take something out of His very side that was created to be in the image of God, allow it to look foolish, leprous, like something you would hide from. But if you'll get close back to His side again, He will restore you, renew you, save you, heal you, and make you what you were always intended to be. Jesus was despised, but He was also taken back up to the right hand of God. And Matthew 26.64 says, You'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven at the right hand of the Almighty. When Moses wanted to know if people would believe Him, God gave him signs of things that looked accursed, if there is such a word, and yet God called blessed. What do you think the message for us is in that, saints? It's not your reputation on the line anyway. It's God's reputation that's on the line. And so what if He wants to put you in a position where you're considered a leper? Or He wants to put you in a position where it doesn't look like you're doing the right thing? It's God's reputation on the line anyway. You work for Him. What if He wants to put you in a difficult situation to gain glory for His name? Doesn't He have the right to do that? 
in Moses' doubt and unbelief and his running from snakes and leprous hands and all of those things, in a few short minutes, God gives him three beautiful shadows and types of the Christ. The next one's the Nile. That's mercy, isn't it? I don't have time to teach you about the Nile tonight because we're going over. But I do want to tell you that the Nile was considered to be the Egyptians' well of living water, their very source of life. And when Moses took their water out and poured it on dry ground and it became blood, some said it stunk. Others dug their own wells to try to find their own water. But a select few group of Egyptians said the God of Israel must be God. And they left Egypt with the Israelites and offered their jewelry and everything else to fund the trip. I'm suggesting in our lives that it's not our reputation on the line, that it's God's reputation. That He may put you in positions that look leprous, that look horrible, but His intent is to restore you, to hold up His righteous standard, to hold up His righteous name. And that the things that He does may stink to some, may cause them to stumble. They may not like it. They may not understand it. It may not fit in theology. To others, they'll simply go out and try to dig their own cisterns, something away from the well of life that will sustain them for a little while. But I want to be in the select few that sees the blood and water that flowed from Jesus' side, just like the blood and water that flowed from the Nile, is something that will bring us life and has redeemed us by it. What I want with my entire life is to see Jesus in everything I do, everywhere that I go. Realizing that He's put His reputation on the line and my life belongs to Him. The truth is, Moses' staff belonged to God. That Jesus belonged to the Father. And that we belong to Jesus. When God wanted Moses to do a miracle, He said, stretch out your staff. When Jesus does miracles on the earth today, He stretches you, those who wear His name and reputation, out to split the Red Seas, to heal people, to call down plagues on people, to do whatever God's work would require to be done. Because something has to bear His name and reputation and He's chosen you. The question is, will you be daring enough to do what He tells you to? It's easy to go hand out flyers in a neighborhood It's hard to talk to the guy with the scowl on his face. It's easy to retreat, withdraw from humanity. It's a rough bunch. They do mean things to each other. They often hurt you even when they mean to do good things for you. But we bear God's name, His reputation, and He has the right to throw us into any situation so that He can restore it and heal it. And if He can take snakes and make them something that is a symbol of righteousness, and He can take leprosy and make it something that is a symbol of restoration, and take the Nile, which was a god in Egypt, and make it a sign of salvation, what makes you think He can't use you? Of course He can. I want to get in the car and drive straight to Florida, and I may go with you if you go. But I bet if you put the same kind of energy and effort into having a revival here, having a revival in your personal life, seeing the kingdom of God advance in your yard instead of someone else's, 
I bet we'll see it. Since you all stand to your feet, I'm looking for a group of people who will join me in the worldwide harvest.